0: All right, well, good evening, everybody. Thank you for joining us. My name is Dave Everett. This is my wife, Sherry. And thank you for joining us at Lighthouse Discipleship Center. We're starting our Bible study tonight on The True Nature of God by Andrew Wormack. And uh, anyway, we're going to be, I think we're in actually Chapter 3, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, Yes, Chapter 3. Chapter 3 is entitled uh, God's Purpose for the Law, and we'll be... Uh, discussion starting with a section called the, the Law and Faith. The Law and Faith. And so we're going to see how the Law and Faith work together and whatnot. not. So um, anyway, so uh, once we get dialed in here, uh, Sherry will be the one narrating. And then uh, we'll talk about it. Uh, we'll talk about what we read and, 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 and in that context. So anyway, thank you for joining us. We have all of our, our Bible studies archived on our website at Lighthouse discipleship.org. You can also you know, give there if you want to sponsor us and, and, and having these Bible studies and whatnot. As well as uh, we also have these archives on our YouTube channel as well. <coughs> so anyway, uh, I think once we're, we're, we're ready, Sherry, I think we're ready to go. Just so,
1: in one more.
0: So we're just checking all of our different uh, platforms making sure everything's working. And we have a thumbs up on everything to the like. so. Okay, so uh, again, The True Nature of God by Andrew Womack. We're going to be talking about uh, the, the law and faith uh, that started out today.
1: All right, the law and faith. You might be thinking, who cares about the old covenant? I don't offer blood sacrifices, I don't kill goats and sheep, I'm not under the old covenant. But I promise you, your theology, thinking, and attitudes are probably influenced by the Old Covenant to some degree or another. You may not be offering sheep and goats, but you may be offering works of self-sacrifice and self-punishment to atone for your sin and guilt. The religious attitude of the law will keep you from what you should do, from walking in intimacy with God. When you sin, the law causes you to focus on your sin. And focusing on sin will keep you from entering into the Holy of Holies and calling on God, which is the only way you can get free of sin. The law keeps you from that kind of intimacy because you only see the wrath, the judgment, and the punishment of God upon your sin. When the law reveals your sin, your unworthiness, and your guilt, you generally run from God instead of to God. Now, not everything from Genesis to Malachi is the law. There is also a tremendous amount of faith in the Old Testament. But we've got to look for it. This is because the Old Testament was basically administration of law. And the Bible says, So then they which be of faith are blessed with faithful Abraham. For as many as are the works of the law are under the curse, for it is written, Cursed is every one that continueth not in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. But that no man is justified by the law in the sight of God. It is evident, for the just shall live by faith, and the law is not of faith. Galatians 3, 9 through the first part of verse 12. I'm glad Paul said that instead of me. I would get in trouble with the religious crowd for saying, the law is not of faith. Put that together with Romans 14.23, whatsoever is not of faith is sin, and it becomes plain that a New Testament believer trying to please God by living under Old Testament law is not in faith and is actually in sin. Did you know that trying to serve God the same way Elisha or King David did Is sin for the New Testament believer? Whatsoever is not of faith is sin, and the Old Testament law is not of faith. Four books of the New Testament were written for the sole purpose of trying to renew our minds from serving God under the Old Testament law. The entire books of Romans, Galatians, Hebrews, and the majority of the book of Ephesians. In general, all of Paul's epistles are strong in this. The book of Romans was written to renew people's minds from the Old Testament law and works, justification by works and by effort. The book of Hebrews emphasizes strongly that we recognize that Jesus has superseded everything in the Old Testament. Jesus is now our high priest, and we aren't operating under the blood sacrifices of bulls and goats, but are set free by the shedding of his sinless blood. The church has accepted the truth that we no longer sacrifice animals, but the scriptures also go on to say that we are no longer operating under the same system of the law where our consciences should condemn us. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. Romans 8, one. The worshipers once purged should have had no more conscience of sins, Hebrews 10.2. The Bible says that believers should have their consciences purged to have no more consciousness of sin. That means no more awareness of sin. Quite a few people would probably like to stone me for saying this. They would say, Brother, how dare you? We've got to keep the Ten Commandments. We've got to live under the Old Testament law. A lot of people believe we must keep the law, but most of them couldn't recite the Ten Commandments. Besides that, there are not just Ten Commandments, there are hundreds of commandments in the Old Testament law. Most people don't know what they are, and yet they insist we've got to live under them. At best, that's just being inconsistent. People who really believe that should know what the commandments are. Many scriptures bear this out. Knowing that a man is not justified by the work of the law, but by the faith of Jesus Christ. Even we have believed in Jesus Christ, that we might be justified by the faith of Christ, and not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. But if, while we seek to be justified by Christ, we ourselves also are found sinners, is therefore Christ the minister of sin? God forbid for I build again the things which I destroyed, I make myself a transgressor. For though the law for for I through the law am dead to the law, that I might live unto God. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless I live not yet not I, but Christ liveth in me, and the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not frustrate the grace of God. For if righteousness come by the law, then Christ is dead in vain. Galatians 2:16 16-21 The death of Jesus Christ is of no effect if living under the Old Testament law is the way to please God and be justified by Him. It makes the death of Christ in vain. It would frustrate the grace of God. Many of us have unconsciously frustrated God's grace. His goodness, his love, his, and his mercy extended toward us because we didn't understand who God really is and what he is really like. Stand fast therefore in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. Galatians 5.1 Do you know what he made us free from? Some people will say sin, but what was the strength of sin? It was the law. The whole book of Galatians shows us that Jesus Christ made us free from the bondage of the Old Testament law that condemned us.
0: All right, thank you, Sherry. Uh, I know that was a little bit of a lengthy material, uh, which is actually loaded with a lot of very powerful and essential truths if we took time to to really look at this. You know, some of this was actually very revolutionary for me uh, a few years ago. Uh, I just said... didn't make the connection between the the difference between the law and faith. And, um, you know, now let me just start off the back. The law is good, the law is holy. Uh, You know, we're not bashing the law, but one thing we're saying is that Christ fulfilled the law, Christ supersedes the law. And we're not living by the law, we're living by faith in Christ. There's a big difference. Okay? And so, uh, First off, I just want to uh, drill in on a couple of different categories uh, without rereading the material, because it just was uh, packed with information. But the first thing you know the law will, it doesn't draw you to Christ, it actually draws you away from Christ. In one sense, we need the law to know that we're a sinner. But a lot of times when we, when we hear the law, the wrath of God, we run away from God. We don't run to God. And so, um, so in that regard. You know, uh, the law had to be until Christ came. But now, and Christ and the law was also a tutor. And what was a tutor in Well, one of the main things that was a tutor is that we're a sinner. <laughs> Uh You know, the, the law is called the, the, the ministry of condemnation. It's called the ministry of death. Uh, Paul talks about that in Second Corinthians chapter 3. And so, it, it's ministry. It's administration is death. Uh, it, it, you know, it, it tells you you're wrong and it, t- it tells you your penalty is death. And so, it doesn't. It, the law doesn't have any grace in it. The law doesn't have any mercy in it. The law doesn't grave on a curve. Uh, the law doesn't bend. It's either you're 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 guilty or not guilty. And all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Romans three twenty three. And so, so we're all guilty. It makes us run from God. But but I like what he Paul, uh, Andrew brings out here from Paul's writings in Galatians three, where you know, and and I Romans fourteen, but two different things, and he connects to the points. The, the, uh, the one I'm going to join in on is that the law is not a faith. The law is not a faith. But it, but it also goes on to say in, in Romans that whatever is not a faith is sin. <laughs> and that, that sounds very sacrilegious to a lot of us who have been raised in a lot of mainstream churches. And I'm not trying to bash any particular church or denomination or any pastor, for that matter. I'm trying to teach the truth. I'm not here about attacking men. I'm about here about pushing Christ. And so, you know, the, the law is not a faith. And we are justified by faith in His grace. It's His grace and faith, they work together. It's not just all grace and it's not just all faith. Grace was first. The faith wasn't first, the, the grace was. We put faith in the grace. But, but, but you know, for example, a car. A car can't run without gas. A car, a car runs off of gas, but if you don't have the car, you can have all the gas in the world. You're still not going to go anywhere. You need to, you need to put the gas in the car. you got to have the key. in uh, the key, key turns on the car. You can have the keys, but if you don't have the car, you're not going to go anywhere either. You know, if you have the car and you're not the keys, it's not going to go anywhere. So you need, it's faith in His grace. But the law is not faith. And anything that's not of faith is sin. So that is really a, a big thing for a lot of religious people. If you are boasting in how you keep the law, you're boasting in how you're sinning. <laughs> in one sense, because, uh, you know, the, uh, the, the, the law is not of faith, and anything that's not of faith is sin. And so, uh, so we don't want to put our trust in the law. Now, we're not bashing the law. For example, the Ten Commandments. We're still not murdering people. We're still not committing adultery. We're still not stealing, killing, and, distru- and all, that, all that stuff. But where religion gets in, gets in danger is that people think that by keeping the law, by being good, they're holy. That doesn't make you holy. Uh, keeping the law is not going to make you right with God. No, you're right with God. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 15:34, Awake to righteousness and sin not it doesn't say sin not to become righteous no the righteousness comes first and how does righteous come we are righteous by faith it's a righteous God by faith Paul talks about this in length in Romans chapter 4 and so we are righteous by faith just like Abraham was declared righteous by faith the just shall live by his faith and and, and the law is not a faith we put faith not, we're not putting the faith in the law we're putting faith in the grace if we could be just, if you know, and it goes on to say, I forget exactly the scripture in reference, but if 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 we were justified by the law, then Christ died in vain. And and so it sounds sacrilegious to some people, but if you really think about it, it's very antichrist, uh, because if anything that makes Christ's death on the cross in vain is very antichristal, very antichrist, and so. We're not, if we can't be of the law, otherwise Christ died in vain. Christ didn't die in vain. Christ died in vain so that would could be of faith and of grace. And, uh, and so and then, uh, another thing I want to focus on is the worshippers once purged should have no more consciousness of sin. Why should we not have any consciousness of sin? It says in 2 Corinthians 5.21 that he who knew no sin became sin, that we might become the righteousness of God. If Jesus became sin, what happened to Jesus? He was crucified. He was buried. And if Jesus was became sin and was crucified, then sin is no more. The Bible says we need to reckon ourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Romans six eleven. We're dead to sin. We don't we don't have any more conscious sin. Paul, I mean, the writer of Hebrews talks about this in and the Hebrew in the eighth chapter, but he repeats it also in the tenth chapter. That Christ remembers our sins no more. If God through Christ is not remembering our sins, why do we have a conscience of it? Why are we remembering something God doesn't remember? God says in His new covenant, and in Romans, I mean Hebrews chapter eight, and Hebrews chapter ten. God, I mean, the, God is, is really explaining what the covenant is, what the new covenant is. And part of the new covenant is that He remembers our sins no more. And if God remembers our sins no more, why are we remembering our own sins? Why do we have a consciousness of sin? When Christ has already crucified, he became that sin and he crucified it. We were crucified with Christ, buried with him in baptism, and we were raised with him in righteousness. It says that he was raised for our justification. We were raised with Christ. And so we were raised with Christ, Justified. There's no remembrance of sin. We we are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. We are born again of incorruptible seed, and there's no corruption, there's no sin, there's no guile in the the seed of Christ of which we are born of. And then the last thing I want to zero in on is um, sorry, I lost my my point um, that I want to focus on. I think I might have covered it. I thought there was one more thing I wanted wanted to discuss. Do you have anything to
1: I do, actually. I really like this point of Andrew's that says the law keeps you from that kind of intimacy because you only see the wrath, the judgment, and the punishment of God upon your sin. When the law reveals your sin, your unworthiness, and your guilt... You generally run from God instead of to God, and I, I I appreciate Andrew's point because it's true. the The law does really focus uh, your, your thinking on the, the the wrath and judgment and punishment of God, and yet you know Dave Dave talked about how Jesus took that upon us, but when all we see is what. God's responses to sin, we, we, we run from that because it seems really harsh to us. And, you know, Dave and I can say this till we're blue in the face and beyond. God is not soft on sin. He does not condone it. He's not saying, oh, go ahead and sin. He is not saying that at all. Uh, it, it's his grace that enables us not to sin. It teaches us not to sin we are to awake to righteousness and sin not so none of this teaching by Andrew or anything that Dave and I say we are not saying it's okay to sin what we're saying is Jesus Christ took care of that so all of God's wrath and punishment is not going to fall on us because Jesus came I'm not a sports person so bear with me if I'm saying any any wording wrong on this. But if you watch football, which I could probably get into football of all the sports, you you have the different teammates. You have the um, shoot. The, I don't know if they're linebackers or what, but they protect. They they protect their team. They're like big and buff and they make a stone wall so that nobody can get, get, get past. And they, they protect the, um, quarterback. Thank you. I, I will. And it, it's kind of like Jesus is the, those linebackers. He's protecting us from the, the onslaught of God's wrath on us. And they're not, Jesus is not going to let any of that wrath get to us when we believe in what he did for us when when we believe that Jesus Christ was died buried and resurrected for us that he became our sins that we in turn would become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus we should we should be shouting hallelujah from the rooftops because God's wrath has been turned away from us it's been redirected on sin, which Jesus Christ took upon himself, and instead we can li- live the fullness of life that, that God gave to us. And he's not saying don't follow the, the law at all. What he's saying is because of what I've done for you and made you right with God, you can live out the law by believing in me because I'm teaching you to love God, I'm teaching you to love your neighbor as yourself and when you love your neighbor as yourself you're not going to commit all these laws because God who is love is in you and directing you because of, of your faith in him and what he's done for you because if all I'm doing is following the law and, and checking off this box hey I followed this I followed this I followed this I'm trusting in me and my performance and let me tell you, we fail. We absolutely fail. We are—we're just thats just us. <laughs> but Christ, and believing in Him, and knowing who we are in Christ, and trusting in what He's done, helps us to to live that life, and and not fall on our on our faces, and. And you know, getting the, the wrath of God, yes, it's scary. I mean, yes, but it's God's goodness and His love that put Jesus in pla- in in place for us. He went to the cross for us, and and that's that's such a big deal.
0: There you, know, you were talking, Mama Garrett. Just loving loving one another is actually fulfilling our. Uh, Paul talks about that in Romans and other that that places. That, that loving one another is actually the fulfillment of the law. And uh, I can say more about that, but I want to move forward. Uh, I think with that being said, let's go ahead and go forward with the next section. The law is for children.
1: We have seen in 2 Corinthians 3 7 through 9 that the Old Testament law was an administration of death and condemnation. Do those sound like things God wanted to do? Did God want to administer death to us? Did he want to make us feel condemned? That was never God's intention. We saw in Romans three nineteen and 20 that by the law we received the knowledge of sin, that all the world could become guilty and every mouth should be stopped before God. The law gave us knowledge of our sin and it made us feel guilty before God. 1 Corinthians 15.56 says, The strength of sin is the law. The law actually gave strength to sin. But sin, taken occasion by the commandment, wrought in me all manner of con- 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 bu- Sorry, I just can't get that word up. For without the law, sin was dead. For I was alive without the law once, but when the commandment came, sin revived and I died. And the commandment, which was ordained to life, I found to be unto death. For sin, taken occasion by the commandment, deceived me, and by it slew me. Roman, Romans 7, 8-11 through 11. Sin produced negative effects. The law produced negative effects. The law made us knowledgeable of our sin, and it made us hopeless about how we could ever approach God. God didn't want to give the total knowledge of sin, but because he didn't reveal his God didn't want to give the total knowledge of sin but because he didn't reveal his wrath on sin people justified their sin they did not understand how deadly sin was and therefore they were embracing it they were just living totally unrestrained lives and because of that satan was dominating the human race until jesus came to earth God had to put some temporary restraint upon sin to keep it from multiplying, dominating, and destroying the human race. He added the Old Testament law because of the abundance of transgressions, but only as a temporary measure until Jesus could come. God didn't really want us to know how rotten we were, but he had to use the law to restrain sin because people had become deceived into thinking sin was all right. Another bad effect of not having the law in place was that God was not fully judging sin. Lightning wasn't striking people every time they committed sin. Because of what seemed to be a lack of seriousness towards sin, people were thinking, Well, I know I should be better, so I'm going to make a New Year's resolution. I'm not going to beat my wife anymore. I'm not going to drink anymore. They would improve their lives and start trusting in their own goodness, which would cause them to say, Well, I'm pretty good. I'm really very good now. I think I'm going to make it to heaven. They didn't consider the seriousness of the sin they still had in their lives. Today we hear the same thing. People are saying, how could a loving God send people to hell? God's going to accept people, whether they're Muslim, Hindu, Buddhist, or whatever. It doesn't matter. Just as long as they're doing the best they can, God's going to accept them. That's not the truth. It's a deception. Without the law, mankind began to think, well, just do the best you can and God's going to accept you. They didn't understand how deadly sin was because God hadn't punished it. So God began to reveal his true wrath on sin by giving the law. God's intention in giving us the law is very similar to child training. You can't get a two-year-old child to obey you by telling them, look, The reason you're not supposed to take a toy from your sister is because God says you should share. God says you should give a do unto others as you would have them do unto you. So every time you take a toy from your sister, you're really just stealing it from her. You're obeying the devil, and every time you obey the devil, you are giving him access to your life. You're learning the ways of the devil, and if you continue in his ways, when you're 20 years old, that's going to get you fired from your job and mess up your marriage. You're going to have all of these problems and you'll never amount to anything. If you start explaining something like that to a two-year-old, they're just gonna stare at you. They don't understand all those complex thoughts. They don't understand God. They don't understand the devil. They don't understand resisting the devil. They don't understand demonic spirits. They don't understand any of it. So what do you do? Some people just say, well, I'm going to leave them alone until they're old enough to reason with. Well, if you wait that long, you're in trouble. God gave you a temporary measure for dealing with the wrong behavior in young children. The Bible calls it the rod, but most people call it a spanking or getting swats.
0: Just real quick. uh, We're in chapter 3, under the section, uh, the laws for children. What page are you on? I'm on page 48.
1: 48. You can successfully get a two-year-old to obey by saying, you may not know anything about God or the devil, but you do that again and you're going to get a spanking. The child may not know who the devil is, but the next time the devil says, steal that toy or, or hit that child, they'll say, no, they'll resist the devil. You can get them to resist sin and conform to a holy standard out of the fear of punishment. This is without them even knowing what sin is or who the devil is. You can get them to fear that rod and I guarantee you it will get them to comply. On a temporary basis the rod is good and useful but in the long run if that's the only motivation people have to live holy lives it is harmful. Fear of getting this spanking is not the proper motivation for adult living. It's a temporary measure we use until a child can reason. When I was a child, kid my mother used to tell me not to cross the street without looking both ways if I didn't look both ways before I crossed the street whether or not any cars were coming I got a spanking at that age I can understand that I would get a spanking if I ran out in front of a car but I didn't fear getting hit by a car because I couldn't relate to that kind of consequence what I feared was getting a spanking because I could relate to that And this fear made me look both ways when I crossed the street. Today I'm a grown adult. Imagine what it would be like if I crossed the street without looking both ways. And when I got to the other side, I just started trembling and saying, Oh, please don't tell my mother. Don't tell anybody my mother what I did. If she found out, she'd spank me. You would think I was strange. You would look at me and say, Something's wrong with you. The real reason for looking both ways before you cross the street is not because your mother is going to spank you, but because you're going to get run over by a truck sooner or later if you don't do it. As an adult, I'm out from under my mother's dominion. My mother's not going to spank me if I don't look both ways. But it's still wisdom to look both ways because I want to preserve my life. However. Until I had enough sense to reason, that physical rod was used as a restraint on me to keep me from doing the wrong things. That's why God gave the law. It was only a temporary measure that pointed to the permanent answer. Old Testament people weren't born again. They couldn't receive revelation knowledge as we do. But the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. 1 Corinthians 2.14 Old Testament people couldn't understand spiritual things, so God gave them a physical restraint, something they could understand. They were thinking, well, sin isn't really very bad. So God said, you don't think so? You do this, pick up six on a Sabbath day, and I'll have you stoned to death. Suddenly, they began to realize God didn't like the way they had been living on the Sabbath day. God said, if you don't tithe, you're cursed with a curse. Then people said, I think God wants us to tithe. God said, you kill and you shall be killed. An eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, hand for a hand, and foot for foot. They got a new understanding of how serious sin was. When God began to reveal his wrath upon sin, Suddenly, people realized what they had thought was right and wrong was totally off base. Their consciousness, consciences had been defiled and deadened, so God had to help them realize what right and wrong really were. The law revived their consciousness.
0: Okay, thank you, Sherry. So, uh, we're at seven point right here. Um, <clears throat> so, again, we're talking, about, we're talking about the true nature of God. And right here, again towards the beginning of this book, we're talking about the law. We just finished a section about the law and faith, and that was a very good one. This section is about the law and children. If you remember, I said just a few minutes ago, uh, from, excuse me, Galatians chapter 3, I believe it is, where it talks about how the law is a tutor. The law will tutor us. The law will teach us kind of like as Andrew is trying to portray in this, this chapter or this section how the law is, is, a, is, is for child training it's for children you know it says at the beginning of this section I just want to highlight a couple of things God doesn't want us to live under condemnation but the law is the ministry of condemnation and death, Paul talks about that in 2 Corinthians 3 and uh, he also, uh, the, the strength of sin is a law you know, until we knew what sin was, uh, and sin revived sin. Um, you know, um, I'm trying to bring out a couple points and then bring them together. Um, sin produced, uh, like this section, sin produced negative effects. The law produced negative effects. The law made us knowledgeable of our sin and it made us hopeless about how we could live, uh, ever approach God. God didn't want to give the total knowledge of sin. But because he didn't, re- he didn't reveal his wrath on sin, people justified their sins. You know, until the law came, people just started living any way they wanted to. There was no restraints. There were no boundaries. There were no, uh, and because there was no consequences of sin before the law, you know, if if there's no consequence, they're not seeing the danger of sin. Again, we have to realize. In the Old Testament, before the law ever came, you know, and actually in the Old Testament before Christ ever came, they're not born again. Uh, they're not born again yet, and so they don't they don't have a spiritual revelation of of, of some of these truths. And so, you know, and, and unless uh, until the law came, there there wasn't a lot of boundaries. But the law kept sin at bay. The law. Uh, as, he's, as he's trying to describe uh, training a child. You know, train a child crossing the street. They're not going to learn all the dynamics of a car coming and, and different things. They might understand it to a certain degree, but they will understand if you cross the street, you're going to get a spanking, or there's going to be some type of consequence. They will, they will understand that. And they will understand if you don't share or you don't play nicely, a certain toy might be taken away from you. They might not understand all the spiritual. Reasoning behind how we should get along with one another, but they can't understand if I don't play good I'm gonna have a consequence, you know the real goal is is not for like Andrew to Fear fear crossing the street unless he can't get a spanking at by his mom now that he's in his 70s I think uh, he doesn't he's not you know well, Actually, his mom passed away now, but at, at that same point time just can you imagine a 40 year old being afraid of being spanked by his mom? Because he didn't look both ways across the street. the point was not was not the spanking. the spanking was to teach him to look both ways. The, the bigger goal was to preserve his life so he wouldn't be in danger and you know that's what a lot of discipline is for it's supposed to train us. well the, well, the law is a tutor. The law that is, it gives strength to sin it magnifies him why? because when we become of age we realize that without Christ I'm a sinner. I'm horrible. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And sin shows sin in its true color. The law, I don't know if I said it right. The law shows, is a knowledge of sin. The law reveals, it takes away the shroud. It it takes away the. There's a deception in sin. And it removes that sin, it, it, it exposes sin for what it is. But the other thing about the law is that there's no antidote. Okay, it exposes how sinful you are, but it doesn't have any mercy. It doesn't have any grace. It doesn't have any atonement. It doesn't have any... any, It just points out, you're a sinner, your consequence is death, because that's the penalty of death. The penalty of death is sin. The wages of sin is death. And so but uh, there's no there's no there's no relief there's no punishment it's a knowledge of sin but the law is not the knowledge of christ the law is a knowledge of sin but we need to know that so we know we need a savior and then christ comes and reveals that he took our sin he crucified our sin and he gave you his righteousness and we and therefore we i'll take jesus i'll take the lamb i'll take the antidote i'll take my which is Jesus, my covering, my substitute. Because he's going to pay my debt, my sin debt, which is death. And he paid for it, and he gave me his righteousness. But now that Christ has come, and Christ has fulfilled the law, we don't have to live under the law. We live like we just read a minute ago. We live by faith in his grace. Now, just because we're living by faith in his grace, that doesn't mean we don't still obey the law. And some people are like, well, David, you just sound like you're talking about both sides of your mouth. We don't talk, we don't obey the law to become saved. We obey the law because we are saved. There's a difference. We're not obeying the Ten Commandments so that we can become a Christian. We are obeying the Ten Commandments because we are a Christian. <coughs> what are the Ten Commandments? I mean, I, I don't know what's all of them, but we don't kill, we don't commit adultery, we don't steal, we don't lie or bear false witness, to name a few. We still obey our fa- father and mother with a with promise. That's the only of the ten with a promise. But just because we're holy now and righteous in Christ, we still are not going to murder people. <laughs> we're still not going to steal, kill. We're not going to act like the devil. Because we're born again. We don't, we don't obey the law to become like Christ. We receive Christ to live like Him. There's a difference. Uh, hopefully that's making sense. It's making sense to you because you know this. But as you know, it should... It should uh, we we uh, that's, a, that's a deception about the law. And some people think that if they keep the law, well, they're, they're saved. No. Uh, you, you only get saved by Jesus Christ. There's only one name under heaven where any man can be saved, and that's Jesus Christ. But now that you, but some people think that now that we're saved, we don't we can just abolish the law. No, the fulfillment of the law is loving one another. So we still love one another. We still love all. The law is hinged on loving God with all our heart, soul, and mind, and loving your neighbor as yourself. So we still love God with all of our heart, soul, and mind, and we still love our neighbor as ourselves. The the, the, the the difference is we're not doing that to become saved. We're doing that because we are saved. Uh, And so um, there's a difference. We're not trusting in our law-keeping ability, we're trusting in Christ. Now that we have Christ, Christ in us can help us obey the law. Uh, And and we're still going to adhere to it, Uh, not to become saved, but because we are saved. And that's that's important. But the law is also uh, helpful for child training, you know, Um, especially in the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, in the New Testament, we have Christ. But we still need to sometimes lose some know some boundaries. Because even though we have Christ, even though we're born again, even though Christ has already paid our sin, sin is still dangerous. The Bible says in Galatians, if you sow to the flesh of the flesh, you'll reap corruption. You're not going to reap corruption from God. God can't reap corruption on you because you're sinning. Otherwise, he would have to apologize to Jesus. But if you sow to the flesh of the flesh, you'll reap corruption. Just like if you sow corn, you're going to reap corn. If you sow beans, you're going to reap beans. You know, if you, <coughs> if you sow carrots, you don't, you don't reap potatoes. If you want potatoes, you have to plant potatoes. Uh, and, so, and so you reap what you sow. So if you sow to the flesh, you are uh, the flesh going to reap corruption. So in other words, if you don't like your harvest, you need to change your seed. So you know we have so many people coming to they don't like their harvest. Well, you need to change your seed. You only got to get what you put into it. You only, you will reap what you sow, and so you need to sow to the spirit, and you know the spirit will be uh, uh, life and peace. And so anyway, you got
1: something? I, I do. You know a lot of this boils down to our knowledge of God, and uh, I encourage you. Um, to listen to Dave's message this morning on Jehovah Shalom. You know, God. Uh, Dave's been, been having a message series on God revealed. And he's talked about the names of God, how, how God reveals himself, uh, on who he is and what he does by, uh, the, his names. And yet it's the knowledge of God that helps us to trust in him and know him. For who he really is and that that a a lot of that boils down to what we we keep repeating because it's such a good needful thing is renewing our minds and you know Andrew's story of of his mom spanking him if he crossed the street without looking you know she was trying to preserve his life and to keep him from getting hit and, and killed and Yet, when we renew our mind, you know, we might be young in the faith, like a child in faith, so we, we need to, to, to learn some things. But every level, revelation we get of the knowledge of God helps us more and more to, to mature in that. And I was thinking, as uh, we're, you know, Andrew's speaking through his book and uh, Dave's speaking. I have a nephew who's two and a half and when he got old enough to crawl around and eventually to walk, he was very interested in any kind of dial, button, anything you push, anything electronic, you know, the TV remote, your computer, your phone, anything that that looked cool that he saw at his older siblings or adults do and when he could crawl into the kitchen and pull himself up he really wanted to fiddle with the knobs on the stove and as an adult we knew the danger of that we knew that he could start a fire he could burn himself you know he could turn the gas on and you know the house explode you know whatever it was dangerous but for us to tell him no don't turn on this the stove he didn't comprehend yet because he was too little So we started out a couple of things. We, um, my sister's house, there's two entrances into the kitchen and one has a door. So you just shut the door because he he couldn't open it yet. And then we would, at least I would, when I babysit, I would block the other opening so he couldn't crawl or walk in, but then he got old enough to climb and to actually open door knobs. So we had to think of other things. We took the knobs off the stove. But then when he was old enough to, to, to speak to, we taught him hot and cold, and he realized that hot meant dangerous. We wouldn't give him food if it was too hot. We would say, no, too hot, and we'd blow on it, get it to cool off, and then we would give it to him. And he started comprehending, renewing his mind on, oh, okay, hot might be bad, Cold, they, they might hurt, but when it's just right, you can do it. Well, then he started to understand, oh, you turn on the stove, it's hot. And so he, he would see the stove and he'd see us cooking on it and he'd be hot. And, and he'd back away because he, he finally comprehended hot, hot hurts. And yet as a child, you couldn't say, you know, you could explode the house. You could catch on fire, you, you know, you could burn yourself you know when he was that little he didn't understand that and that's why Dave and Andrew uh, are explaining that you know the, the law is a good teacher but you really need to know what God did through Jesus and renew your mind to that so you understand that yeah the law was set in place for a reason and yet we don't uh, by ourselves try to do things to to be righteous or get into heaven. It doesn't work that way. But by knowing Jesus and God for who they really are and what they've done to us, we renew our mind. We are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus because of what Jesus did for me. That way I can turn around and love God and love my neighbor.
0: Good, good. Well, let's read a little bit more. I think we have just a little bit more time. Or the correct use of the
1: law. But before faith came, we were kept under the law, shut up unto the faith which should afterwards be revealed, Galatians 3.23. People had been trusting themselves for salvation, thinking, Well, I'm really pretty good. I haven't done anything terribly wrong in a long time, and surely I'm all right now. After the law was given, they began to realize even if I never sin again, I can't do anything atone to atone for my past sins. They begin to realize the hopelessness of their situation. But we know that the law is good if a man use it lawfully. Knowing this, that the law is not made for a righteous man, but for the lawless and disobedient, for the ungodly and for sinners, for unholy and profane, For murderers of fathers and murderers of mothers, for manslayers, for whoremongers, for them that defile themselves with mankind, for men-sealers, for liars, for perjured persons, and if there be any other thing that is contrary to sound doctrine. 1 Timothy 1, 8-10 There is a right purpose and use of the law. The correct purpose of the law is to give revelation to people who do not see their need for God. People who do not understand they have transgressed against God have deceived themselves and the law can be used to show that they are not going to heaven without salvation through Jesus. I was ministering in Houston, Texas when a man stood up in one of my services and started yelling at me. I tried to talk to him, but he wasn't even coherent. Finally, I just rebuked him and told him to sit down and he did. After the service was over, He came up to the front and sat down on the front row. He was totally spaced out on drugs and could barely talk to me. I told him, God loves you and God wants to change your life. He can set you free and take you out of the bondage you're under. The man said, I don't have any problems. I'm not under any bondage. Everything's cool with me. Everything's fine. I could tell by looking at the guy that it wasn't. So I said, look, God himself could come live on the inside of you and set you free. He replied, I am God. God's in the ceiling. God's in the cement. He regarded God as a force and a concept, not as a real person. He said, I don't have any sin. Sin is just relative. This man had actually hardened and deceived himself to the point where he didn't even understand God's perfect standard. I had started out ministering love, trying to use the goodness of God trying to use the goodness of God to lead him to repentance. But the man was so deceived that his conscience was disconnected. He couldn't recognize a true standard of right and wrong. When I saw that, I started using the law on him. I took the word of God and began to reveal his sin to him. I cut him from one side to the other. You sorry scum of the earth. You think you're all right, but you're not. You don't have any power. You don't have any joy. I began to reveal every rotten thing on the inside of him. Lust, greed, covetousness, and all the other sins God hates. I used the word of God to whittle him down and show him that he needed a savior. That he was headed straight for hell unless God intervened in his life. And guess what? The law cut through all his deception. The moment the law comes, the conscience will snap back to a proper, godly standard. I don't care how deceived a person has become, or how much they think drugs are all right, pre-sex is all right, sin is just relative. You minister to the, you minister the law to them in the right way, and I guarantee you they will see their sinfulness. The Lord will destroy all deception and cause their consciences to work properly.
0: I really like how Andrew explains that. You know, the law is good when it's used lawfully. For those of us who are faithful, for those of us who understand grace, it's his goodness that leads to repentance. But when someone does ca- cannot decide between right and wrong, when they think that they're just okay, just like a religious leader who came to Jesus and said, All these I've kept to fight you. When people uh, begin to justify themselves, they don't understand the consequences of their sin, that they can't believe, that you can see the deception. Then the law is good to wake them up. To wake them up that they need a Savior, they need Jesus. The law is good when it's used lawfully. But when it's used used unlawfully, the law is not good. You know, it says in uh, 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 Galatians chapter 5, I'm going to look it up in my Bible versus my iPad because I can get there faster. In Galatians chapter 5, verse 22 and 23, it says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. You don't need a law for a righteous person. You don't need... It is good. For most people, uh, most Christians, or most, his, his goodness will lead to repentance. But once in a while you come across a religious person, or you come across a, a self-righteous person, or you come across uh, someone uh, who just has no conscience, and uh, uh, right and wrong, then the law is good. Uh, you, you, in one sense, it's a shock treatment. Because you're trying to, you're trying to shock that pride out of them. You're trying to do to, to wake them up to their folly, and so you know a righteous person sometimes is trusting in their own righteousness, their own their law keeping and whatnot. And you got to use the law to shake them out of that, because uh, you know all you're keeping the law is not going to make you righteous, not going to make you holy. There's only one thing that's going to make you holy. And righteous, and that is Jesus, the yes. blood of Jesus. That's the only thing that can make you. And when you are trusting anything else but Jesus, that is wrong. That's sin. Anything that's not a faith is sin. And so uh, you can keep all, you can keep all the law you want, but you're trusting yourself. That's sin. That's that's christ That's against Christ. That's instead of Christ. And so we're trusting Christ. Those of us in Christ, we, we, there, we there is goodness, and we just read the fruit of the Spirit is goodness. There's goodness, but the goodness, the fruit, is the fruit of the Spirit. It's the fruit of God. It's, we're not the source. The word "of" uh, points a picture. We're we're, just, we're the children of God. We're born of God. We're not born of ourselves. God's the source, and if there's any goodness in us, it's because of Christ. If there's any holiness in us, it's because of Christ. If there's any righteousness in us, it's because of Christ. And those who think that they're righteous, good, or holy without Christ, they need the law. And that's how you use it lawfully. But if you have Christ, you don't need the law. We still want to obey, obey the, the, the law, and the, but not, not but we, if we have Christ, Christ in us will obey the law. We, sometimes we need His goodness, will lead us back to repentance. And so, anyway, hopefully I'm making sense with that. Do you have something, Karen?
1: I do, and I can't find where Andrew uh, wrote it, so I must not be looking in the right spot. And, and this is just a little thing that I caught on when I was reading out loud, and I don't remember if it was the section I just read or, or previous. But Andrew had made the comment about how... how, um, how, how Uh, some people think how could God send people to hell and God does not send people to hell let me just get that straight once and for all God does not send people to hell what sends people to hell is them not believing on Jesus Christ and what he did for them so I just I, I, I just feel very strongly about that, and I wanted to clear that up for anyone who thinks that, that God's not merciful and loving, and that, that He chooses and, and wants to, and He sends people to hell. That, that's not God at all. God doesn't want anyone to go to hell. He has given us free will, though, and it's our choice. So if anyone's going to hell, which I hope not, but it's their choice uh, to not believe.
0: Okay, I know we're just about out of time, but we just read about the the correct use of the law, but the next section is the incorrect use of the law. And I just wanted to read that last little section real quick, and then we'll we'll, we'll wrap it up for the next.
1: The purpose of the law was to show us our need for God. But once we correctly recognize our need for God, the law is totally incapable of producing the relationship with Him we need. This is where many people have missed it. After becoming convicted of their sins, they start trying to get a right relationship with God by trying to keep the law. The Old Testament law was full of thou shalt nots. People interpreted them to say, God is telling me what I've got to do to earn a relationship with him. Now, if I'll just keep the Sabbath, honor my father and mother, don't murder, don't steal, don't bear fault witness, and all of these things, then I'll be all right with God. No, that wasn't what God was teaching. God didn't give the law so we could keep it and earn our way to heaven because nobody could keep the whole law. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. No one has been capable of keeping the law except Jesus. God didn't give the law so that by keeping it we could earn our way to heaven. Rather, God gave the law to show us how hopeless we were. It was to show us how sinful we were so we could quit trusting in ourselves and look to him for salvation. Religious Religion preaches the law. Religion says that unless we go to church and follow an exclusive list of rules, God's not going to answer our prayers and we'll never get to heaven. But if that were true, none of us could have been born again because we sure weren't living right before we were born again. The Old Testament law wasn't given so that by keeping it, we could earn relationship with God. It was given to show us knowledge of our sin, condemn us, and destroy any hope of trusting ourselves for salvation.
0: So as we wrap it up tonight, I just wanted to end on this in which we've already been kind of talking about uh, throughout it. But uh, I just really like this uh, um, paragraph here. God gave the law to show us how hopeless we were. It was to show us how sinful we were so we would quit trusting in ourselves and look to him for our salvation. And that's really the capstone on that. That's really not, not narrowed it down. We can't trust ourselves. We, need, we can't trust others. We need to trust God. You know, it says in Jeremiah 17, and I quote this all the time, which is curse is the man who trusts flesh for strength. But blesses a man who trusts, who trusts in the Lord. It's a curse. According to Jeremiah 17, to trust man, to trust for your strength. Now, I understand in a relationship we want to trust each other and relationships we want to trust each other. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about for your salvation. Your, touch, your salvation is not going to come from your parents. Your salvation is not going to come from your spouse. Your salvation doesn't come from... Your good works or any else's good works. You're not trusting an earthly priest. You're trusting Christ. Now, I understand we want to trust our pastor or whatnot. But I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about salvation. We're trusting God for our salvation, okay? Um, you know, if we couldn't trust anybody, that, that, would, be, that would be a big problem. But we, we need to, we, there need to be people in our life we can trust. But even if there is nobody in our life we can trust, we can trust Him. Always, he is always faithful he is always trustworthy but when we're talking about our salvation do that that's a danger of religion that's a danger uh, you know if we it, religion teaches that we have to trust what we do where well, we have to trust we do we do we would never be saved because we were never good to begin with you, you know you, you can't change the rules that we're, were you can't say that we're saved by Christ. And now we maintain our salvation by our performance. You can't have it both ways. Uh, The Bible says in in, in Colossians 2, 6 and 7, in the same way you receive Christ, walk in him. The same way you receive Christ is the same way you live out the salvation. Did you receive salvation because you were good enough? None of us were. We received salvation because of what Christ did. Well, the same way we received Christ is the same way we walk that out. The just was by faith. The very next verse, verse seven, says, "says that walking him, we uh, I, I got to quote it again. It's been a little while since I've read it, but uh, Colossians two six and 7. There. and therefore I have you received Christ Jesus I'm reading the New King James I usually like reading this from the King James uh, And the same way you received Christ so walk ye in him rooted, built up in him and established in the faith there's that word faith again as you have been been taught and am with thanksgiving, there's a lot here in verse 7 you know one thing I like about the King James, at the end of verse 6, is a colon. That colon tells me, uh, it, it, he's, uh, he ends with, verse 6 says, In the same way you receive Christ, so walk ye in him. So walk ye in him. At the end of that phrase, is a colon. That tells me the very next verse, verse 7, is explaining what walking in him looks like. Some people don't understand what walking in him contains. What well, walking in him contains, verse 7, that we're being rooted in, and grounded and rooted and built up in Him and established in the faith. Walking in Him is being rooted and grounded in who you are in Christ. Being established in the faith as you have been taught. We're not called to make converts; We're called to make disciples. A disciple is taught and we're taught to be rooted and grounded and established and who we are in Christ and we can do all this with Thanksgiving and so uh, and, and so that's what walking in him. so we're not and it says in the same way you receive Christ well we didn't receive Christ because we had it all together. we received Christ because he had it all together and he we were broken. we were sinner, we were headed towards hell. we were destitute without Christ but he came. And now, and, and what I mean, basically, let me just put it in simple terms. We heard the gospel, believed the gospel, and we're saved. We heard the gospel, believed the gospel, and we're saved. We heard the good news, we believed it, and received it, and we're saved. Well, in the same way we we received salvation by faith. We heard the gospel, His grace. We believed the gospel, His grace, and received the gospel, His grace, and became saved. So that when we, when we, we, the just lives by His faith. So we, we live the same way we started. We didn't start because we, were, we all have it all down. No, we heard the gospel. We heard the grace and the good news of his, of his grace and received it and believed it and were saved. Well, that's how we live. We hear His word. We have a relationship with His word. We believe His word. We receive His word. And his, we begin to grow like a fruit tree, not a Christmas tree, from the inside out. In his nature, as we're rooted and grounded in him, from the roots, we begin to live this life from the inside out. That's what walking in him looks like. It says in Galatians 5.16, if you walk in the spirit and not in the flesh, you won't, if you walk in the spirit, you won't fulfill the lust of the flesh. Let me restate that, because I think I chopped it up. Galatians 5.16 says, if you walk in the spirit, you won't fulfill the lust of the flesh. So you don't control the flesh by controlling the flesh. You control the flesh by walking in the spirit. You don't the, 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 you're rooted, you're grounded, the seed is Christ. The, 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 any good that's gonna come out of you, and the very next verses they're talking about the fruit of the spirit, which I just read a little while ago. Love, joy, peace, goodness, kindness against such things there's no law. How does that come out of your life? You walk in the spirit. Well, what's the Spirit? And that's a whole other teaching. But but one of the aspects of the Spirit, Jesus said, the words that I teach you are spirit and life. And, and so when we walk in the Spirit, not in the flesh, because if you sell to the flesh, of the flesh you will read corruption. But if you sell to the Spirit, you will read life and peace. So we sell to the Spirit. We sell to the Spirit. We, we, we live a life in the Spirit. How do we get in the Spirit? We receive Christ. Paul said in Corinthians, if you don't have Christ, if you don't have His Spirit, you're none of His. If you don't have the Spirit of Christ, you are not of his. That's not talking about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. that's about talking about our born-again spirit being born again. That's a whole nother teaching which we're going to get into on Wednesday nights eventually when we're talking about the new you and the Holy Spirit. We'll get into that in a little more detail. Um, but uh, anyway, I think we're in there. I know I said, we said a lot of different things, but we live this life by faith in his grace. We hear the gospel, believe the gospel or say. And, you know, even though we received the gospel by, and, and received salvation, that was the starting point. We continue to live this life by hearing the gospel. The gospel includes being healed. The, the gospel includes provision and other things. I live by the gospel every day. And Paul says, no longer I who live, it's Christ who lives in me. In the life I live, I live by the faith of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That's the gospel. He lives his whole life by the faith of God who loved him and gave himself for him. That's how he's living his life. Every day, everything he does, Paul lived his life by the faith of God who loved him and gave himself for him. So that's how we live our lives. By the faith of God who loved us and gave himself for us. And so that's how we live this life. And that's how it works. The communication of faith becomes effectual as you acknowledge every good thing that's in you in Christ Jesus, 5, in verse 6. So, oh, we worship you. We magnify you. We exalt you in your word. And help us to live out this Christian life. And Lord, I know we're talking about the nature of God. And and we haven't gotten to all those specifics yet. But Lord, we're we're also countering some things that you're not. And so we're going to get into some of that uh, as we come. As we go forward. But teach us how to live by grace. Live by faith. In your grace. In your, your name. We bless this week as we go forward. We pray for our country as we go forward, where we are at our crossroads in this next coming election in the next uh, uh, th- uh, next two days, and so Lord, we pray for our country. I know by the time that we get together again, that uh, Lord, the election will have taken place, and so we pray for our country in this hour that we're in, and Lord, we thank you uh, uh, for that, uh, and we. We, we bless this country. We bless America in Jesus' name. Amen. amen. God bless you. Have a great week. I encourage you to go out and vote uh, if you haven't already. And so, uh, we we'll we'll do that. And so, um, anyway. God bless you. We'll see you